Hello, Jim. Good afternoon, John. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, today is uh, our um, today is March the third, or is it the fourth? Fourth again. Uh, the fourth. Yes. And this is our second podcast uh, today. This is number forty-eight in our uh, series called Apocalypse is Coming. Uh, today, John, we're doing something special, something unique probably in several ways. It's the first time, as I can recall, that we've done two podcasts in one day. That's a special challenge in itself. But uh, it's also uh, going to <clears throat> focus on a particular question that we've never dealt with before. And uh, I'm asking it as a question in this way. At what price freedom? In other words, both for the Christian and for uh, the American citizen, we are faced during this conflict of war of Russia's war on Ukraine that is presently going on uh, with the issue of how sacred is human life, physical life in particular, and what does it mean relative to the Bible's teaching in regards to spiritual life and our eternal life? It seems to me that this is a critical question because for many Christians in America, uh, we have a stated uh, understanding, a strong understanding of what the Bible teaches about the unseen world of angels and heaven and the presence of the spirit of God in our hearts and lives. And how does that measure up against the physical life and particularly right now with regards to a war going on and how do a, uh, address that war and what are the consequences of that war and how far are we Americans willing to go to get involved to help uh, a nation that is really struggling and under deep threat of total annihilation and how does the value of life and death those values uh, uh, how, how do they uh, how, how do they uh, get addressed how do we address them and uh, so we're going to dedicate this episode to talking about that at what price freedom, how far should we be willing to go to defend uh, a nation? How far should our nation be willing to go to defend and come to the rescue of another nation? Now, before we get into some of those details, <clears throat> I was reminded by someone uh, of other questions. And, uh, and it's significant, I think, that we should quickly address these as well. Uh, on the one hand, John, you and I would affirm that we are closer to the rapture than ever before, but still some would say, well, what happens if things basically return to normal? How can we say that we should address the matter of the rapture, uh, the blessed hope of believers, and, and viewing it as more urgent than any other normal time, so to speak? Well, I think the answer in part to that would be that there are things happening in the world today that the Bible speaks about that would characterize the times of the end, namely a realignment of European nations, a uh, greater and greater intensity of, of war making and so forth. We remember that Jesus warned that at the near the end of the days, uh, particularly in the Great Tribulation, uh, there would be wars and rumors of war. There would be pestilences and famines and so forth. And here we've just gone through a tremendous pandemic, a uh, worldwide pandemic, 
Uh, right now we're engaged, uh, not we, but uh, Russia is engaged in trying to defeat uh, Ukraine in a war that uses mechanized weapons uh, never before uh, seen perhaps in combat and may yet show other weapons that have not been used before, including nuclear weapons. And so uh, we, we believe that uh, scripture would teach us that our redemption is drawing nigh and we ought to lift up our heads. And so the church has done for almost 2000 years, but there's a, a de degree of intensity and development that has taken place much more recently uh, than has ever been here before. Uh, and, and what is the significance of the rapture? You know, we who believe in the pre-trib rapture are often accused of wanting to escape affliction and tribulation and so forth, and we view it simply as an escape mechanism. Well, there are two answers to that. On the one hand, it is an escape, and Jesus and the New Testament apostles use that word, uh, rescue, uh, deliverance, and so forth, from the time of great tribulation. Uh, and second, yeah, and secondly, we are not trying to say that Christians escape uh, tribulation in, in general or uh, affliction and suffering, because we don't. And the New Testament addresses this in many ways and on many occasions. Um, uh, another question that was asked, why would God remove the light, namely the church, during its darkest hour, namely the time leading up to and in the Great Tribulation? Well, one answer to that, as it occurs to me, is that uh, uh, the, the, the Bible describes an increasing rebellion against God on the part of the nations, and that God's mercy and patience is long-suffering and uh, endures for ages and ages, but it finally will come to an end. And the Bible predicts this and says that the judgment of the Lord God will come when finally evil has run its whole course to such an end that it can no longer be allowed to go, to go on. And a great example of this from the past is the flood. And Noah's building of an ark for several hundred years uh, was rejected and, and opposed and no doubt ridiculed by the people living at that time. But the Bible tells us that man's heart was greatly deceitful and there was no redeeming quality left among all mankind except in one family, Noah, who believed God. And so there's a great example. And the Apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 that that idea that all things are going to continue on and have continued on as normal from the beginning is not true. Peter reminds us that there was the great flood. And he compares that to the end of the age when God will bring judgment in an unprecedented way and culminate that with the Battle of Armageddon. So those are some questions that perhaps some of our listeners are thinking about. And uh, I thought it helpful to address these now. Any other comments, John? Well, I was just thinking what Jesus had to say in the Olivet Discourse um, when he said uh, that uh, this is Matthew 24, 21 and 22. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until that time or, now, or ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Jesus says that it's going to be so severe that it never would have happened in human existence up until that time, nor would it be uh, ever equaled 
the future of uh, human history, however you want to count it. Well, I think that's entirely correct. Uh, so the uniqueness of that period means that uh, we haven't seen it yet, quite obviously, uh, but when it does come, it will be unprecedented in its extent of harm, suffering, evil, and so forth. And never before in human history has that ever been contemplated to be as greater or possible as it is today, the year 2022. Uh, so we're, we're living in critical times, it seems to me, and critical times demand critical living and, and so forth. Well, let me uh, suggest this uh, basic premise for our discussion today. Uh, and, and I began with the question, at what price freedom? And it seems to me that the present attempt of Russia to conquer Ukraine raises life-threatening and disturbing questions as never before faced by this nation or by Christians living in any nation in the world today. You know, the constant refrain of the media uh, representing the government's position is that the USA and Europe cannot put troops on the ground in defense and support of Ukraine for fear of provoking Russia into a war with the West, which or, would or might mean a nuclear war or World War Three. Right, or that put them in the Pardon me? Or put them in the air. <laughs> yes. In you either way, be, be coming, coming directly involved with American troops one way or the other. So that's the uh, constant thing that we are saying. I hear it uh, several times each day as I watch the news. Uh, secondly, we're willing, therefore, to help Ukraine in all kinds of ways, uh, providing material, even weapons and so forth. But we will not provide those means that would become game changers. That is, help Ukraine to defeat Russia, which would involve putting either troops on the ground or aircraft in the air. But I ask, is the threat of Russia's engaging in nuclear war a legitimate concern? Now, that's a powerful question. And I think it's the most important question that the USA and the West have faced in the last 80 years. We've all heard about the fact that Russia has the most nuclear weapons in the world. We're probably second. China has them, France, Britain, and other countries have them. And we would never want to engage in nuclear war because it is mad, mutually assured destruction. Right. But may I suggest several considerations that uh, the threat of nuclear war uh, brings to our thinking, and uh, maybe there are qualifications to that. Well, Jim, so, I'm going to do something here. Uh, the, the question you asked is, is the threat of Russia's engaging in nuclear war a legitimate concern? Uh, I don't think anybody really, you know, it's almost a rhetorical question because sure. I don't think there's anybody that seriously considers it uh, not a legitimate concern. Uh, especially when you have somebody who is evidence uh, uh, lack of rationality, uh, lack of uh, emotional and intellectual uh, stability, uh, as Putin has, that he would hesitate uh, with any kind of provocation, small or great, uh, to use nuclear weapons uh, to put the event. Well, I'm, uh, you're, you're right. So, I'm presuming then, then that your question is merely rhetorical. 
Well, my my point is that uh, that question brings to the mind several considerations that may modify it or mollify it, qualify it. And, and so these are some statements that I'd like to make, and it gives us uh, additional perspectives uh, on the threat of nuclear war. First of all, I'd like to ask, who had defined uh, the present conflict uh, between Russia and Ukraine as going to issue in a war between Russia and the United States if we simply establish a no-fly zone or otherwise put troops in the air or wherever? In other words, who would define that as the premier pivotal question? I suppose our government is, but I don't know if they are omniscient about that and, knows, and know exactly if that indeed is going to happen. Uh, so I just raise that as, as a question. It seems to me that every time I hear one of our political leaders uh, saying that, it represents a degree of timidity on their part or a degree of omniscience about the future and about what may be in other people's minds, namely uh, Putin's, that uh, is unwarranted. But another observation, which is truly significant, a member of the Ukrainian parliament said the other night on in the news, his name is Oleksiy Goncharenko, said that World War III has already started. And I thought, wow, what an amazing statement. And he said that whether the West knows it or not, the Third World War has already started. And when you stop and reflect upon that, I think he may be right. Depending whichever way this conflict between Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia goes, there are consequences that are going to flow out for the rest of history, which is a pretty strong statement on my part as well. Uh, so, for, for example, if Ukraine had defeated the lands of Poland, Romania, and others, uh, the Baltic states will have a nuclear-armed Russia right on its border, and Russia may be well emboldened to conquer those states as well. And we would, according to our present uh, restraint, not be willing to engage Russia again. And, right. and this, this person went on to say that the deliverance of Ukraine means the deliverance of the West. And again, I think he may be on point. Let me bring up an issue from history. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's only uh, 80 years ago, which in the flow of history uh, is not very much. Uh, but uh, you recall that uh, the rise of Hitler. Now, what did he first do? Well, the first thing that he did is... Um, he, um, well, I, I need to throw in Austria here, but functionally uh, he presumed upon Austria and, and, and it became a vassal state of Germany. But I'm thinking particularly of uh, what he wanted to do with the Sudetenland. Uh, in other words, uh, the uh, Western portion of Czechoslovakia, which at the time was heavily populated by people with a Germanic background. And he just decided he was going to annex that. Well, Neville Chamberlain uh, just decided to knuckle under and brought back a piece of paper and got out of his little two-engine plane and waved it in the air. And there's there's uh, pictures of that uh, event. And he said, this is a guarantee that we have peace in our time. Well, it wasn't a guarantee of peace in our time. And he was appropriately deceived uh, and embarrassingly deceived. For uh, on the 1st of September in, in 1939, uh, Hitler invaded Poland. And finally, it dawned upon the people of Europe 
that it was going to be one nation after another until Hitler's uh, thirst was uh, satisfied and uh, they were going to have to stand up. So the question is, you're going to have to stand up sooner or later. Uh, when will it be? Yes. Well, I think that's a great parallel. And, you know, I haven't heard anybody in the news media make that parallel yet today concerning this conflict in Ukraine where Russia is advancing its uh, domain in Central Europe and doing so in order to, uh, and does so by the justification that these lands once belonged to it in Imperial Russian days and so forth. Uh, You know, another thing that comes to mind is that this threat of a nuclear war may be simply that, a threat, uh, but one which will not materialize. We really don't know. Uh, Other weapons, you know, John, rise close to the terror of nuclear bombs today. Russia is already used elsewhere and perhaps already in Ukraine, such things as cluster bombs, which are meant to simply uh, uh, destroy the population. Uh, There are those, I think, that are called thermobaric bombs or vacuum bombs, which are horrible, horrible ways of, again, attacking a civilian population, destroying people, much more so than physical uh, damage, the intent. Uh, and, and I've heard of other terrible weapons of warfare. Several, uh, well, let's say chemical warfare, uh, right. gassing populations in, in Russia or its, its subordinate in Syria had already had done that. And our country said, don't do that. You're drawing a red line in the ground. And if you cross over that, it'll be a serious matter. Well, they went ahead anyway, and nothing was done. And one can't help but reflect that uh, Russia's uh, boldness now is in part due to our uh, failure in the past. And then I asked the question, well, what if the situation were reversed? In, no, in other words, if Russia said to us, uh, give up something or else we're going to attack you with nuclear weapons. You know, frankly, John, I think that's what's happening right now. Russia is basically threatening to use nuclear weapons if we get involved. And look at what our response is. We are cowering under that threat. What, what if, what, what if uh, China threatens nuclear war if we dare defend Taiwan? And I fear that that may be on the near horizon. And again, I fear that our response will be, well, we don't want to go to nuclear war over this, so we won't do anything. All of this assumes that going to nuclear war means death and terrible uh, suffering for multitudes and multitudes, perhaps whole nations disappear, But again, that's built on a premise that physical life is the supreme and final value that we value. And that's not the case for us who are believers. You know, somebody listening to us will think, well, you know, we're really getting into the weeds. We're getting into all kinds of political questions. What does this have to do with the Bible? The the topic of our podcast series is called Apocalypse is Coming. Well, that's how it deals with the Bible, because what secularists may call a terrible consequence for world history or the involvement of nations. The Bible talks about this too. And people who are listening have heard such terms as the apocalypse and the apocalypse is coming and the great tribulation and so forth or the left behind idea. All of these things are addressed in the Bible. So we're dealing with issues that the Bible is clear and deals with in, in various ways. And we're going to get to some chief considerations here in just a moment. 
Uh, may, may I say that death by a nuclear war is no worse than death by a sword or a gun or a bomb or other things when it comes right down to it. When we think of America and the founders of our country, they said in the Declaration of Independence, as they signed that document that they were pledging their lives, their fortunes and their sacred honor to revolt against Great Britain. And many of them experienced the loss of life and all of them probably their fortunes, but they were willing to do that for a greater principle and that is freedom to live apart from bondage. You know, Americans have always valued freedom over life. Just think of the world wars, World War One and Two. Um, we, as a nation, uh, gave of our sons and daughters in conflict to die on foreign shores to set other nations free, to deliver them from bondage. Then That's me, been America's great call. Let me, let me uh, yes. give an illustration of that. Some years ago, I had a chance, uh, along with my wife, to go back to Washington, D.C., and we went to the Vietnam Wall and whatnot. We decided we'd go to the Korean War Memorial there in Washington, D.C. It was a very impressive, uh, uh, dramatic uh, memorial. Anybody that goes to Washington, D.C. should go to the uh, Korean War Memorial. But there's a small reflecting pool there, a pool of remembrance. And uh, inscribed on one of the walls there is this statement. Our nation honors her sons and daughters who answered the call to defend a country they never knew and a people they never met. And opposite that inscription along the pool is another one that says, freedom is not free. That's the price that we pay. Uh, that's the rent that we pay for the space that we occupy as a nation. Well, may I add, John, to that, that that's what sets apart America in its history as no other nation in the course of all the Gentile nations. To well, my knowledge, uh, 2,000 years of history, no other nation has selflessly gone to the aid of another nation, poured out its uh, bl the blood of its... its uh, sons and daughters, and then come home. Uh, I don't think there's another nation in all of Gentile nation history for 2,000 years that has done that. I believe that's a special calling that God has placed upon America during the last 200 years. And now, frankly, Jim, Frank, frankly, Jim we, we are on the threshold of abandoning that heritage. I agree. And I think this conflict in Ukraine... Uh, sharpened the focus on that particular question. Will America continue to be the land of the free and the home of the brave? Or, and, and the selfless uh, dis, distribution or dissemination of freedom around the world or abandon that or back off from it. So, uh, and, and here's some other values that we treasure more than life itself. And that is uh, not only freedom, but spiritual life, eternal life that we know in the presence of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, no army on earth can take that away from us and no government can. And our earliest founders and the people who were involved in the uh, Revolutionary War often gave their lives to achieve the end of freedom, but many of these were Christians. 
because they realize that if they should die physically, they still have spiritual life. And frankly, that transcends uh, by value of the whole world, uh, what it means uh, to live a life. So our physical lives may last for uh, 50, 60, 70, 80, or 100 years, but our spiritual lives go on forever. And death is the doorway to that. And, and you know, here's another thing that we as Christians need to reflect upon, and that is that all war and all other evil in the world uh, derives from Satan. He is no doubt concocts and instigates a war as much as he possibly can, because it, remain, it, it, it means, among other things, physical death and spiritual death for those who die without Christ. Uh, so right now, he is no doubt behind this effort. He's the great deceiver of the nations. He uh, will continue to deceive them and bring them all to a point of absolute uh, rebellion against God, and that's when God will intervene. Um, we need today political leaders who will take up all the values that we've just been talking about and embrace them and propound them. And it seems that we are lacking those today. I'm sure that they are there, but they need to become much more obvious and outspoken. All that we are seeing today is small potatoes in light of the end of history that Jesus talked about. And you already referred to Matthew 24. And the disciples begin that whole uh, section of scripture called the Olivet Discourse by asking Jesus the question, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And the whole rest of that chapter then involves the signs that Jesus gives, such as the preaching of the gospel in all the world, and then the rumors of wars and, and so forth, and then talks about the great day of tribulation, which will be unique in history. And then he declares what his coming will be like at the very end. And it will be great and glorious and the whole world will know it. And he will assume uh, his triumph over all the world and all the world's forces and begin his reign on this earth for a thousand years. So, so that's the outline of what Jesus uh, gives us in Matthew 24 and elsewhere. And so that's what Christians know, need to affirm that uh, as a, our, our belief and uh, rest in it and, enact, and act upon it. Uh, perhaps as never before, Christians have a vital role to play in our culture, in American uh, culture today as never before. I think that Christians provide the key to returning our country to fear of God and to provide direction and courage and hope in such a time as this. Anything you'd like to add to that, John? Well, I hope that we don't. Um, I hope that we will not be voices crying in the wilderness. Uh, but indeed, if, if, that is, if, if that is the case, that's our obligations. Uh, yes. The, the events of history are the events of temporal history. The world lives as though temporal history is the only history. And that is the great right. thing that, that, inf that infects America. That is a great thing, to be honest, that occasionally uh, overshadows 
uh, our better thinking as believers in Christ. Uh, that that the most important that we we see things uh, from a temporal perspective uh, by default. Uh, it takes an effort for us to reconstitute our thinking about things from a spiritual perspective uh, and from an internal perspective. And and it's necessary that we bring into that kind of eternal perspective our responses to the present. Uh, crisis uh, in Eastern Europe and what it portends for us, not just as a nation uh, relating to Europe, but as a nation relating to other evil powers uh, on the other side of the globe. And uh, we, it seems, Jim, that we, um, we're we really people that have um, feet in two different realms of existence. We're uh, yes. citizens. I will not. I'm not going to say we're citizens of the world, as though it's a one-world government. We're citizens of America, and so we have we have uh, national and and patriotic uh, uh, factors that uh, come into our thinking, and uh, and and properly so. I think it would not be hard to make a biblical case that people ought to uh, love their homeland. Uh, as as something that God has sovereignly bestowed upon them uh, for their uh, care and their stewardship uh, with all of its attendant uh, unique characteristics. But we also are citizens of heaven. And, and that is the place that, that should draw our uh, greatest attention. And everything else should be put into that kind of perspective. But that that presumes that while we are here, we will speak up and uh, and uh, and frankly put up as is necessary uh, to uh, underscore the importance of what we what we say and what we believe. Yes, well, you know, I think <clears throat> we are all citizens of this land as well as citizens of heaven. And next door to me live neighbors, and they no doubt are wondering what is going on. What does this portend concerning the future? And the Left Behind series of many years ago brought about a residual understanding that there is an end to history coming as predicted in the Bible. So here is here the United States and the West facing the most threatening, darkest hour, perhaps in 80 years. And this conflict in Ukraine is worse, I think, than Korea, than the Cuban Missile Crisis, than Vietnam, Desert Storm, Afghanistan, and so forth because of the consequences that are potential. So the call to Christians is, I think, twofold. Be, be faithful to the Lord. We need to be praying and reading our Bibles as never before, trying to understand what God is doing. But secondly, using our influence to point the way to the light. Christians are, are, are holding forth the word of truth. They're the light in the darkness. And for such a dark hour, the only people who have a pathway to light are Christians, whether that be for our national leaders or my next door neighbor. So we need to be sensitive, open, and uh, clear cut concerning our witness to our neighbors in our larger communities. So we pray for repentance personally, and we pray for national repentance, and Jeremiah 16 is a wonderful word about this. And we then pray for evil to be squashed. We pray that the Lord will come uh, 
that his kingdom will come and his will be done on earth. And that implies the destruction of evil. And we can pray that evil forces, including uh, Russia today and other evil uh, countries such as China, be brought down, be come to an end, that they would embrace uh, freedom instead of bondage and so forth and so forth. Any final thoughts, John? Well, no final thoughts. I need to spend some time playing, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, well, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know if it's a kind of a Christian urban legend, but I've, I've heard it said that uh, Martin Luther uh, once said, uh, the day is beginning. I have uh, so many things uh that I am concerned about that I'm going to have to spend at least three or four hours in prayer. <laughs> All right. a, a great perspective. Pray without ceasing. Yes, that will give us a better perspective. Pray without ceasing. Thanks, John, for joining me today. Have a good day. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. Goodbye.